Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. And now, here's Dr. Lloyd Willis with today's lesson. Good morning, Sabbath School. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask for the guidance of your Holy Spirit as we talk about the scriptures today and the need to interpret them for our lives. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why is interpretation needed? And that may be pretty obvious, but uh, let's look at it this way. If we have a letter from Abraham Lincoln and we're wanting to read it and understand it, we need to recognize that there's a little bit of interpretation needed because the times are different. It might have been 160 years ago that he, he wrote this letter. Time has changed. On the other hand, if we had a letter from Napoleon Bonaparte, there's even more challenge. There's the translation that is needed first because it was perhaps written in French. And then there's also the, uh, the uh, interpretation because we're in a different time, a different place, with a different culture. And 18th, 19th century Europe was quite a way behind. So when we come to the Bible, it's not surprising that we have to translate first, because it was written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And uh, then we also have to interpret, because we are so far distanced in time, perhaps at least 2,000 years or more. Uh, we need to interpret because uh, the place is different. That was the Middle East, and the culture is different. The Middle Eastern culture is quite different from ours today. So we need to interpret the Bible to, uh, to understand exactly what is meant by uh, each passage. We said last week that the Bible is clear, and in most cases it is, but there are many places where there are differences that we need to explain or understand through our study so that the Bible can come to life for us. The Bible came to us from God, who doesn't change, but it came through various human channels, farmers like uh, Amos, Fishermen like Peter and John, a taxman, Matthew, kings like David and Solomon, priests like Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And so all of these different points of view and prophets as well, each individual writer would have his own background, his own context, and understanding the difference in time, in geographical setting, the vocabulary that each uh, writer has will not be identical. The type of illustrations each one uses is according to his background. And his individual style, maybe poetic ability, uh, will, will differ. So uh, that's why when we come to the New Testament, for example, John is simple to read in Greek. It's where we begin in a Greek class with John, because it's pretty simple. And uh, then uh, if you compare him with Luke, Luke had a very high education and uh, a very uh, 
a very lucid but but sometimes complicated style of writing. His Greek is is heavy, and I had to uh, translate for my uh, um, comprehensive examinations. I remember that I was given a passage from Hebrews to read and translate, and that was heavy going. Hebrews, is, we don't know who wrote it for sure, but uh, indications are that Paul was responsible for the material, but Luke may have written it down. So you get a complication of two very learned, well-educated men. So we need to recognize that these styles are different, and some of them are a little more difficult to understand. That's why Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, that uh, as we come to Paul's writings, we'll find some things that are hard to understand, which some people will twist and, and, and maybe misunderstand. But as we look at the quarterly today, why is interpretation needed? That's looked at it from the point of view of literature uh, and individual writers. But the, you'll notice the memory text says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. <clears throat> For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we have to have faith. Does that discourage us? No, because the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.8 that faith is a gift from God. It's his gift to us. So he, if we ask him, he will give us faith and increase our faith. We believe that he is and that he will reward us as we seek him. We also notice that in 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. So we need the guidance and blessing of the Holy Spirit as we seek to understand and to interpret Scripture correctly. And John 16, 13, Jesus gave the promise that the Spirit will guide you into all truth if you ask and dedicate yourself to him and ask him to, to guide you. So we need not be discouraged. Interpretation is available to those who come to the Bible with faith which God promises to give us. And the Holy Spirit is, is ready to do that. The Bible has to be translated first, so go to good translations and compare them, but it also has to be interpreted. Translation and interpretation are certainly related and both are very important. In word-for-word uh, word, translation is not good enough. That can get you into trouble. Uh, pastor Adlai Esteb, Adventist pastor, went to China. And when he gave his first speech, he said, I'm tickled pink to be here. And the translator looked blank and then said, he scratched himself until he was red, and then he came here. Literal, word-for-word for word translation can be very misleading because there are idioms in the Bible and in our lives today. There are metaphors. There's hyperbole. And so uh, we need to, to carefully approach the Scripture so that it can be understood and correctly interpreted. Jesus, even in his speech, used uh, some devices that are not used necessarily today, humor and exaggeration, for example. 
he said that they needed to uh, take the, the three by two uh, beam out of their own eye before they worried about the little moat in their brother's eye. And uh, that we needed to make sure we didn't strain out a gnat while swallowing a camel. This was humor and hyperbole combined. So idioms and metaphors are, are found everywhere in scripture. I have a book on the literature of the, of the Old Testament, and it gives a list of places where you can see their metaphors. Uh, the mother of the road is the literal term used in Ezekiel 21:26. It means the crossroads. The mother of the roads is the crossroads. The pupil of the night means nighttime. The sons of his quiver are arrows. The wings of the city heights are the highest spots in the city. Um, grain of heaven is manna. And uh, heat waves of famine, the fat of the land. A tangled spider's web is a tangled argument. A wind of jealousy and so on. There's a lot of things that uh, are quite commonly used in scripture, but they don't necessarily click with us immediately. So we do need to understand the things that we are reading through studying the culture, studying what other Bible writers have said, and listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now in... Uh, uh, Luke chapter 24, we've noticed this chapter a couple of times already in this series. It's very interesting that uh, on the walk to Emmaus, Jesus explained the scriptures. That's interpreted. He explained the scriptures to them, pointing out to them how these applied to him. This is in verse 25, Luke 24, 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? So he's referring to these many passages in the Old Testament, which from the point of view of Jesus looking back, were pointing forward to him and events and experiences that he had while he was on the earth. And so he went through Moses and the prophets to explain to them what was there and what was said concerning himself. He opened their understanding, the King James says. He opened their minds, the NIV. That is, made the scriptures understandable to them. And uh, then if you come to verse 36 of this same chapter, <clears throat> while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. So these are the disciples gathered in the upper room. And Jesus had come back from Emmaus and came into their midst. And then it goes on to say how that he instructed them. In verse 44, he said, to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds. There it is. He opened their minds, opened their understanding and explained to them what is written, that the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. 
beginning at Jerusalem and so forth. So uh, it's an example of Jesus interpreting the scriptures, interpreting them to these various disciples and then to his 12 up in, or the 11 in the upper room. He opened their understanding. Um, interpreters of the Bible cannot completely divest themselves from their own past, their experiences, resident ideas, and preconceived notions and opinions. Total neutrality or absolute objectivity cannot be achieved. Bible study and theological reflection always happen against the background of presuppositions about the nature of the world and the nature of God. So you can't come to the scripture with, with just an open mind and say, let it speak to me. You can do that, but in fact, you have many preconceived ideas in your mind. Do you have presuppositions? I ask myself that, and I, I do. Uh, presuppositions, things that I sort of begin from as I approach my study. For one thing, the world is a fascinating result of a creator designer. For me, that's a presupposition. God is a loving God. That's a presupposition because I've studied the scripture and I've, I've lived with him for 81 years. God doesn't change. That's another presupposition. And the Bible is uh, inspired. It's an inspired record of God's history of working with the human race. That, for me, is a presupposition. As I study the scripture, that is what emerges for me. And as you go through Old Testament and New Testament, you'll find places <clears throat> where it actually gives a translation of a word. For example, in Acts 9.36, it speaks of Tabitha. And Tabitha is the Aramaic word that means gazelle. And that was the name of this, this Christian lady there uh, on the coast of Israel. And uh, it says that is Dorcas, which is the, the Greek equivalent of Tabitha. So there are places where the Bible gives its own translation. But we're going beyond that to say, yes, there's also interpretation. And the Bible helps to interpret itself. Uh, if we go to Acts chapter 17, we get a good example of Paul explaining the scriptures. And at the beginning of the chapter, Acts 17, 1 to 3, Paul and Silas go to Thessalonica. And there they go to the synagogue. That's where they usually began when they went to a, a city, find the synagogue. And so uh, in uh, Acts 17, we read the first three verses. And it says, when they'd passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Now, what did he do? He's with a Jewish congregation, a Jewish audience. So he begins with the Old Testament, which was so familiar and so beloved to the Jews, and referred to the Messiah, 
which was such an important topic in, in Judaism among Jewish people. So what was the result? In verse 4 it says, Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of Greek-fearing, God-fearing Greeks, and not a few prominent women. So there were results using that approach, going to the Old Testament and to uh, search for the Messiah, knowledge of the Messiah. He went on from there to uh, um, Athens. And so in verse 16, you'll see what happened next. He goes now to a Gentile audience. Probably a few Jews around, but uh, primarily a, a Greek audience. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, that's Acts 17, verse 16, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And if you go to uh, Athens today, you'll find that there is a huge marketplace, the ancient one that's been uncovered by archaeologists, and the modern uh, marketplace that's just, just nearby. And then as you look up from that marketplace, where he started reasoning with the Greeks about uh, their gods and so forth, um, you'll see that there is the great uh, Acropolis with the great temple on top. And uh, just in front of that, slightly to the northwest, is a big outcrop of limestone that is known as the Areopagus. And uh, that comes from the, uh, the name Ares, which was the name of the war god, who was known as Mars to the Romans. So Mars Hill is the same as the Areopagus, uh, dedicated to this, this war god, and this was the place where they had their discussion. So it says in verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is? And uh, you remember that Paul talked to them about the unknown God because they, they had a, a, an idol that was, or a, a, a plaque that was dedicated to the unknown God. And so he talked to them about this God and introduced him as the creator. So he began with their setting, the belief in these many gods, and moved from there to the Creator, which is interesting and important to all humans, and then went from there to the story of Jesus and the, the, the resurrection of Jesus after his death. So Paul used this approach, and again, it was fruitful. It tells you how many people came to, to know the Lord. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, so of this, this council that operated there, also a woman, a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So there were results. It's interesting that when he went on to Corinth, which was the next place, maybe 30, 35 minutes away, uh, there he, uh, 35 miles away, I should say, uh, there he uh, says, I determined to preach Christ and him crucified. In other words, he bypassed 
any of this philosophy and uh, modern setting to go straight to the heart of the matter and talk about Jesus as the Messiah. And he found that that was very fruitful as well. So the Bible does need explaining, and Paul and Jesus both gave us wonderful examples of doing this. Um, just before we conclude, I want to notice that on the last page of the quarterly, a very beautiful statement uh, in messages to young people. In your study of the word, lay at the door of investigation your preconceived opinions and your hereditary and cultivated ideas. You will never reach the truth if you study the scriptures to vindicate your own ideas. Leave these at the door and with a contrite heart go in to hear what the Lord has to say to you. Then the next paragraph. Do not read the word in the light of former opinions, but with a mind free from prejudice. Search carefully and prayerfully. If, as you read, conviction comes, you will see that your cherished opinions are not in harmony with the word. Do not try to make the word fit these opinions. Make your opinions fit the word. So we need a true understanding of Scripture, as we understand, and we can get that through the guidance of the Spirit, through our own soaking our minds in Scripture, and through our study of the history and the context, the setting. In this way, we will become enriched in understanding of the Scripture and be able to share it with uh, all those that are around us and come in contact with us. Dear Lord, we thank you for being with us in our study of your Word today. We pray that you will help us to understand the scriptures, to interpret them correctly, to lay aside human opinions and listen to your word. Thank you for your grace. Amen. This podcast is a service of the University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org, or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website. Thank you for listening.